Please pray with me. Lord God, we pray that you might pour your grace out upon us today. Lord, we pray that you would speak to our hearts, reveal yourself to us, Lord, and draw us into your presence. Lord, we pray that you might place your words in my mouth and that you might bless us all through this encounter with you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Good morning. It's so good to see you all today. Well, in this one city, there was once a rich man and a poor man. Right? And the rich man had lots of things. Every possession he could ever want. You know, flat screen TVs, um, sweet cars that worked. Um, What's that? So it's not me. That's right. I'm not the rich man. You're right about that. Uh, And the poor man, all he had was a little lamb. Have you heard this story before? That's right. And so uh, the poor man, all he had was this little lamb. And he raised this lamb like it was a member of the family, didn't he? Right? He cared for it. He fed it off his plate. It drank from his cup. He loved and nurtured it. They stayed up at night watching late night TV. Right? They, they were just the closest of friends. The, fam- the lamb was like a member of the family. And one day, a traveler came to visit the rich man. And what did the rich man do? Why did he take the one from the poor guy? Well, I heard somebody say a jerk. That was a classic line. That's right. Yeah, that's really it when it comes down to it. He was, yeah. He was selfish and greedy. He didn't want to use one of his own flock or herd to feed this, this guest, which he should have done, according to um, hospitality customs. Instead, he took one from the poor guy. And what lamb did he take from the poor guy? The only one he had, right? The one that was family. This lamb. Poor little, how could you do that? Right, I mean, this thing is just so cute. There's no way. Yeah, he took that lamb, and he turned it into... Well, you can't really tell. It's just a chicken, but... Um, You know, typically, if you understand how creatures work, lambs don't turn into roast chickens. But um, this is the best prop I could come up with for lamb chops, right? Um, Yeah, he took the man's poor lamb and turned it into this. And yes, it's smaller, too. So if you have any kind of spatial ability, it's going to be hard to see that these things would turn into each other. But that's how sin works, isn't it, right? We often think, you know, we think it's going to be a big, yummy thing, but in fact, it's a little small, tiny plastic thing and it doesn't feed you at all that's an aside the real thing though is that the lamb was stolen and roasted and fed to this traveler and and this poor man had everything taken from him we see that story we see that story of the taking of the lamb in uh, our old testament passage for today and it's used by the prophet nathan to great effect right and it's used to explain to david the consequences of what he has done, right? Because do you think David's really thinking of consequences right now? Most people, when they're in the midst of an affair, what are they thinking of? Themselves, right? They're not thinking of their family. They're not thinking of impacts on others. They're just kind of thinking about them. And that's kind of what got them into the problem in the first place, isn't it? They didn't say, oh, this will be best for me and my career and my family and the community, did they? No, I hope not. Right? That would be poor reasoning. Right? Instead, he was thinking about himself. And so Nathan used this parable, this story, to draw David out of himself and to show him that what he was doing was hurting and affecting others. 
And so what has David done? Let's think back to last week. It's a long time to remember. I was a year younger back then. Um, And so last week, what were we talking about? The passage began with, uh, it was the season where who goes out to war? Do you remember that? Kings go out to war. And David is what position in, the, in Israel? The king. And where is he not? At war, right? His soldiers have all gone off and David has stayed home and he is bored. Right? Something has gone wrong. He's not doing what he's supposed to do in leading his army. Instead, he stayed at home. And so he's doing what any king at home will do and he takes a nap, right? In the afternoon. And he wakes up from his nap and he goes to the window and what does he see? Bathsheba, and what is she taking? A Bathsheba, that's right. Um, It's easy to remember, right? This kind of bath Bathsheba thing. And so David has a choice at this point, right? He's done nothing wrong at this point, has he? Right? He's just kind of, whoa, there's a lady out there. And so what is David's option at this point? Walk away away or? Or be bad. Right? And, And which one does David do? The bad one, right? He continues to gaze at Bathsheba. And now he has a choice. He has another choice, can't he? He can stop at the gazing, can't he? But what does David choose to do? Continue on gazing and? Lust after her. And then that lust gets wheels. And he brings Bathsheba to himself. Right? He sends out his servants to bring her to him. And then what does he do? I'll cover up the microphone so we don't get it on the website, right? That's right. That's right. He knows her, right? Uh, David and Bathsheba have relations. He brings her to the palace. And she gets pregnant, right? And he has a choice at this point, doesn't he? David has several choices along the way. Have you noticed this? Right? And, and his choices are, he can admit his sin, right? Fess up and say, that is my child, and then try to make it right. In some, I mean, you can't ever make it right, but he can at least admit it and try to seek a solution with Uriah and his wife so that they can um, move forward from this point. What's that? I don't think David was concerned in her opinions on the matter, is my guess. Um, you're right. You're right. She is really treated like a, like a possession, right? Just kind of move from person to person. You're absolutely right about that. It's, it's terrible for her in so many ways. So um, he has a choice at this point, right? He can fess up or he can not. And what does he choose to do? Not. not. And so he's got these consequences for this action, right? Bathsheba's pregnant. Her husband is at war. And so um, what can he do? That's right. Because if the husband comes home and goes home to his wife, he can say, what? It's his! It wasn't me. You know, he came back and slept with his wife. But what does Uriah not do? Right, he never goes home. Because Uriah has this incredible sense of honor and duty. Right? He's like, no way I could do that. There's so, my soldiers are out fighting a battle, and I'm here at, back, in, um, back in Jerusalem. There's no way I can go and be... And do something that my fellow soldiers are not doing. I need to stay pure and focused on this battle. Right? It's this amazing juxtaposition of Uriah and David. 
the one who should have been in battle but wasn't, and then the one who is forcibly brought back but continues to stay there in heart. Okay, so what does David do then? That's right, so I can't cover up for it, so I might as well kill the guy. Right, I mean, I got no other options here as king. Right, so that's what he does. He has Uriah killed. Now, who is Uriah? The Hittite, that's right. And what is he what does he mean to David? Apparently nothing. But what should he have meant to David? He's one of his soldiers. He should have meant everything to him. But Uriah is more than just one of David's soldiers. Uriah the Hittite is one of David's mighty men. Right? These were like the elite of the elite. These were 37 of hand-picked soldiers that had been with David, some of them since before he was even a king. Right? These are the people who had traveled with David before he had the authority of kingship. Uh, before he was in charge of Israel, these were people who had pledged their lives to defend David, and they had done it, even though it meant being outlaws for him. Uriah was one of these mighty men who had been with David from the beginning. So what should Uriah have meant to David? A lot. He had given up his life for David. And David here, with a flick of the wrist and a signature of the pen, writes his death notice and sends it with him back to the front lines. And Uriah is killed. Now in our passage, that's all transpired. And David has taken Bathsheba as his wife. I don't see a whole lot of interaction between them on this negotiating, right? David's not like, do you want to marry me? I don't see that. The giving exchange of rings kind of just, he takes her back to the palace, right? And who's not happy with David? God is not. Why is God not happy with David? David has sinned and didn't admit it, and he keeps getting deeper and deeper in his sin, right? You ever, anyone ever notice that? You keep digging the hole deeper, and you get further and further in there, and it seems harder and harder to get out. Yeah, so far, David has blown almost a third of the commandments, the Ten Commandments, right? Uh, and so, um, God sends Nathan to David with that simple story that I recounted earlier. Now, God is not mad with David only because of the commandments thing. Um, God is also mad with David because David is reflecting poorly on the kingship of Israel. Right? Who was supposed to be the true king of Israel? This is going to take some thinking. Right. God was supposed to be the true king of Israel. Right. And so when Israel made a king uh, earlier in Samuel, um, God said to the prophet Samuel, they have not rejected you, Samuel. They have rejected me in making this king, right? And so the king was taking that position of God. And so in that position, they should have been someone who was above reproach, who could point people to God and say, look at me, look at God, and worship him. Because God is the true object of our worship. He is the true king of Israel. But was David doing that? No, David was making a mockery of the the kingship of Israel. I mean, we're only two kings into this kingship thing. Right? We had Saul, who, who was a wreck as well, and David, who's a wreck as well. Right? And neither of them have lived up to that. Neither of them have been the king that pointed to God. So Nathan gives him this story of the lamb. And how does David react to it? 
That's right, he wants to give him the steak, right? He says, not the steak like the steak, but like, you know, he, he, well, he thinks that that rich man who did that, that is terrible, that somebody could take another person's lamb. But what has David taken? Someone's wife and their life, right. He's taken everything from this poor man Uriah, and he has taken everything from Bathsheba as well. And David is quick to mete out consequences, but Nathan comes back to him with the most awesome one-liner you'll see. Right? He says, you are the man. Right? You are the man. And this is not the, you're the man kind of thing, right? This is, you are that man. If there was, like, action, fig- action um, movies in, like, the, the time of David, Arnold Schwarzenegger would have delivered this line, right? You are the man. Right? You would have known that you were the one who the weight of the sin was falling upon. David was the one who had done wrong. He was the one who had trampled the poor. He was the one who had stolen what was not his. He was the man. And how does David respond to this indictment against himself? I have sinned. He responds with repentance. I have sinned. It was during this time of conviction that David penned our psalm for today. Right? Psalm 51. Check it out when you get home from church. It's a beautiful psalm of repentance. Read the whole version, though, so open up your Bible and read it in there. David might have repented, but there were consequences for his action. Anyone ever notice that? Like, we might be right with God, but there still are effects. Right? You, you drive drunk and you have an accident. You might repent to God, but what has still happened? You still had the accident, right? It doesn't just go away suddenly. David had consequences. That child that Bathsheba and David had had, or that she was pregnant with, uh, it died. And what happened to David's family after this? That's right. It just spiraled out of control. Um, His daughter Tamar was raped by one of his other sons. That's a bad one, right? And then that son who raped his daughter was killed by another son. Are things going well at this point? Right, and then there's this son called Absalom, who is actually the one who killed the other son. And tell me about Absalom. Anyone know his story? Yeah, he gets his head caught in the, the, the crotch of a tree as he's riding by. But uh, what was he doing at that point? Why was he running? He had rebelled against David. He had, Absalom, his son, had actually seized the throne from David, his father. And had taken him, and he had slept with all his concubines, and he had, I mean, just everything was falling apart. The nation was in turmoil. The world was falling apart. And this was King David, his family, just spiraling out of control. But in the midst of sin, and this location is significant, the midst of sin, It's in the midst of it, not after a person gets their life together, but in the midst of sin, right in the middle of it, God offers a thing called grace. And grace is present here in the Old Testament and in the New. Grace is God's unmerited favor given to us. He gives us gifts. He gave David gifts when he deserved them least, and he redeems what is broken. So while David and Bathsheba's first child died, anyone know, happen to know who their second child was? Solomon. And what happened to Solomon? Or what was the kind of the good things of Solomon's life? King. Wise. 
built the temple. This is the child of this relationship of a woman who was taken from her husband, her husband murdered, and yet from them, their second child becomes the one who that Davidic kingship passes on. He is the one who builds that place of worship for the Lord. That is redemption. That is what God does. He takes what's broken, what is messed up, what should never be redeemed, what in our world we would just write off. He takes those things and he makes them a blessing. That's the way God works. Now what David did is completely reprehensible, right? Bless you. And we might look down on his adultery, and we might look down on his murdering, and think that we're way above all that, right? We have a tendency to do that, don't we? To say, like, I might be bad, but I'm not that bad, right? And that's okay. God's, I'm sure, satisfied with my level of badness when he looks at how bad they are. But the reality is, is that on some level, we're all guilty of Nathan's reproach. The finger is pointed at all of us, And we hear, you are that man, or you are that woman. You have that guilt upon your shoulders. We all, like David, crave things that are not ours. Or we lust in our hearts. Or we think ill of others. Or we want to get other people out of the way so that we can have glory. Whatever it happens to be. We all suffer from these challenges, this sin in our life. And our guilt is upon us. But while we sit in condemnation... There is another lamb that is spoken of in the Bible. This lamb as well was sacrificed by powerful men. But this lamb's sacrifice brought us forgiveness of sins and eternal life. If you find yourself today sitting in guilt and condemnation, look to the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, and offer your sins up to him and be forgiven. That is the hope we have in our Lord, that he is the lamb who has taken away the sins of the world, and he offers us hope for a new day. He offers us redemption of our life. He offers healing to the brokenness, and he offers us another day. Let us pray. Lord God, we pray that you might fill us with your hope, We pray that your grace would fall upon us anew, Lord God. Help us to confess our brokenness to you, to admit to you the ways that we fall far short of your glory, Lord God. And we pray that you would forgive us, that you would bring us back into relationship with you, and that you would fill us with such hope and peace and reconciliation, Lord God, that we would go out into this world as transformed people, feeling renewed, feeling burdens lifted off of our shoulders. Lord, and we pray that you would fill our mouths, Lord, with your words of hope for this world, that others might hear of your goodness through us and might come to know you as well. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.